Welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by the Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each month we bring you the latest news from the Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. In this very special bonus episode, we're chatting to naturalist, wildlife guide and broadcaster Yolo Williams about his life and career. Well, hello everybody and welcome along to the Lodgecast for a final time, I can say that for sure. (laughs) season two for a final time. I'm so excited for this particular episode because it's not only Christmas, but it's a bonus episode. And I'm not sure we've had one of those yet either. No, it's a Christmas special. And just just to cap off season two, because it's been such a whirlwind of a year and um, Mm -hmm. a particularly special guest is joining us today. Yes, I mean, we really are spoiling you listeners. Um, I'm just delighted because we've got the one and only Yolo Williams joining us later for a chat. And it's just going to be the most lovely wrap up to 2021. And speaking of that, let's take a look back at 2021, shall we? Have a bit of reflection time. That sounds very, very wholesome. (laughs) Hashtag reflection, (laughs) mindfulness. Um, So first of all, Eva, long time listeners are, I'm sure... (laughs) absolutely sure wondering what on earth happened to those famous chicks that were sort of padding around your your kitchen in the spring that we chatted about a few episodes ago because I feel like they've kind of dropped off the face of the earth and I'm I'm quite concerned I, I'm sure listeners are with you they've been worried about them for months <laughs> um yeah no they they I was thinking about them just yesterday missing their little cheeps and um oh. padding around not missing their mess quite so much um but they Maybe are smell they well. are outside in the freezing cold um oh. two, two groups of them doing pretty well yep the um, lovely well at least the hens are still there cockerels uh had to be dealt with i'm afraid <laughs> not and, so cute uh, when they're a bit bigger on. <laughs> <Moving on. laughs> but yeah i'm looking forward to a bumper egg crop from january so um, mm. watch yeah. the space and everyone will be getting eggs for birthdays <laughs> excellent <laughs> Well, it's been a busy year all around, hasn't it? I mean, there's just been so much going on. I still can't quite believe that it's that it's December. I mean, Eva, we had in our series of in conversation with around COP26 for Beaver Trust, which is still on our YouTube channel, listeners. Yeah, go Um, check it out. Excellent. You had this what I feel is now an iconic conversation with the legend that is Dr. Peter Kalmus. I mean, do you want to just debrief us a little bit on what that was really like? I know that you knew him before, but but tell us a little bit more. Well, I, that would take the whole episode to debrief fully. It was, <laughs> it was my highlight of the year, actually, personally, yeah. because it was such an interesting and validating experience for me. Like thinking about, he, he's so passionate about what he does and he lives, breathes, channels the earth and the climate emergency and with such emotion that it was a really draining thing to do. Like both mm. of us were exhausted at the end of it, but also it's just, ah, oh, he's got so many important things to say. And I found myself coming away wanting to just spend every minute um, sharing his message, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he knows really urge. He's front line and, you know, it's not enough people get the urgency of this. Anyway, mm. I, I could mm. get going, but I won't. It was awesome. No, go really listen. do. Listeners. Listen. Yeah, listeners, go, go and watch that. It's um, it's really, really inspiring. Yeah. How about you, Sophie? You've uh, written a book casually during the year <laughs> as well as doing everything else. Uh, yeah. So the book is is ticking away. I actually handed in the last couple of edits this morning, which is quite exciting, um, which means that over the next few months, we'll start to do the various things that need to be done to actually turn it into a book, which is terrifying, but exciting. So... That's been quite busy. I'm quite tired. And um, yes, I became a homeowner a couple of months ago. Oh, so, um, that's exciting. Just very in time cool. for Christmas. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, doing lots of painting and knocking things down and destroying things, which is quite satisfying. Um, but yes, looking forward to chilling out a little chilling bit, out. I must say. That sounds really cool. Well, we're all looking forward to reading that book next year. So watch this space, listeners. It's going to be great. Um, and to Beaver Trust, what have we been up to in 2021? Um, well, yeah, what have not everywhere. 
Yeah, there have been some um, real highlights of uh, the Beaver releases and restoration itself, like mm. um, taking them back to Tom Bowser and his family at Argati. Um, he was actually really tearful when they arrived. It was, you know, many, many months of work mm. goes into this stuff. And I think it's really symbolic of, of the effect that Beaver releases have had on the people who have, you know, it's, it's months and months and months of work leading up to the point where the beaver actually leaves the crate and enters its new enclosure. And we've had some amazing releases in the last few months. And it is just such a kind of heartwarming, life-affirming thing to to witness and see. And it's always the most joyful part of our job, I think, to see all of the work that's gone into this actually having a positive result. And it's such a symbol of hope, I think, for conservation and nature restoration as a whole to see that beaver leaving the crate. So that's been such a highlight that repeatedly throughout the last few months. We've also welcomed some fantastic new colleagues to our team, which has really strengthened what we're doing um, Rasheen Campbell Palmer and Rob Needham and Elliot McCandless uh, in the second half of the year. And yeah, there's so much going on. It's really exciting to be part of. Yeah. And none of these releases could have been anything without them, really. It's, it's such a team effort and a, and a great collaboration with other members of other conservation organizations. So yeah, it just it's it's um real demonstration, I guess, of what can be done if, if we all come together a little mm. bit. What about the Lodgecast? What's your favourite? Any highlights from the year? Oh, gosh. Oh, so much. I have to say, I still think back to that wonderful episode with Dr. Amir Khan and just how much my tummy hurt from the <laughs> amount of laughter. I mean, he was doing it from his car because we sort of messed up the timings at our end. And he very, very graciously did it from his car. He missed a dinner with his mum, Mama Khan, famous on Twitter, <laughs> to record with us. And it was just the most joyful, hilarious thing. And the fact that <laughs> I think at the end of the episode, when we were talking about meeting up by the beaver pond at Chris's at the Cornwall Beaver Project, and he was saying, drinks, let's have some drinks. <laughs> it's just like, yes, please. Really look forward to seeing you by the beaver pond as soon as possible. Yeah, and await hedgehog babies. Yeah, It will be all over my social media. Oh, I think I will, no. I might have a stroke if I see hedgehog babies. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, yeah, I'm so excited well, about it. Well, you some green space. <laughs> yes, please. Thanks. I'll need it after that. You'll have to like scrape me up off the floor. <laughs> oh, oh, wait till you get down to the beaver pond then. We might need oh, to. Uh, honestly, I don't think I'll survive i'd be having palpitations still hasn't happened amir wasting no, i was gonna say we need to draw through all of them and look at the promises from each of the episodes false promises bumper, throughout bumper season two <laughs> what about for you um well a real highlight for me was uh our chat with jillian so mm. I, I feel like what was so special about that was that we kind of caught her off guard and we got the real Gillian and she was just wholly yeah. herself and so entertaining and so like her, you could see her thought processes going off <laughs> everywhere and I just loved the conversation. I think if I'm honest right like the easiest way to for me to like describe my thinking around this at the moment is that conservation and the sector there's this sense of like, we need to make space around the table. Hmm. And the way I sort of, it came out actually very spontaneously when I was helping a climate coalition event last summer. Hmm. And the conversation went on to diversity and how to make the sector, the conversation around climate conservation, ecological crisis, more inclusive. And the words that came out very spontaneously were like, this is not just about making space around the table. We need to just build a whole new table. Hmm. And I, hmm. the more I think about it, the more I read, the more I discuss, the more I reappraise the way I've approached my work over the last couple of decades, the more I'm like, this is a really fundamental shift that needs to happen. Oh no, Gillian's episode was brilliant. That was the first one, I think, wasn't it? That kicked off the whole of season two. And I think that really set a precedent for the sort of tone of conversation, the meatiness of it. And we really have. I think mm. another one for me was Richard Bramley. And that episode was just some of the things that he said was um, really stuck with me in terms of a, a different way to look at farming. And the episode is called mm. Finding Answers in Farming. And I really do think that if 
Listeners, you feel that you're more curious about the role of farming in solving the nature crisis and the climate crisis and having a pivotal part to play in in that space. And I really encourage you to listen to that episode because Richard Brownie has some fascinating um, nuggets of thought to mm. feed that appetite. Well, you see, that's what the Lodgecast is here for. It's insightful. That's what people come for. These, um, <laughs> this is what the people want. This is what the people want. <laughs> insights into every angle. Nobody's told us that yet. We are just <laughs> running with it. <laughs> I mean, we can't not talk about Emily Fairfax either. Oh, no. I mean, good goodness. Beavers and Wildfire. That's There's so much, isn't there? That's the thing. There are so many fantastic episodes in this this mm. series and in 2021 generally but she has it yeah. was amazing so you know the forefront of research in beavers and climate action really yeah and, yeah and all her beaver paraphernalia as well the mugs I know, and the t-shirts and, talking know. to us from the states very early in the morning with her beaver mug can't yeah, get much better brilliant than that. brilliant but anyway usually right about now in the episodes we'd start the fact off and have a chat about our bit favorite beaver facts and then later chat to our guests and ask them to decide the winner. But we're actually going mm. to do this fact off with Christmas Yolo later on. <laughs> and he may or may not be wearing a lovely red coat <laughs> and matching hat. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Now, you will most likely recognise the wonderful Welsh naturalist and broadcaster Yolo Williams from his time presenting The Watches and other shows like The Last Wilderness of Wales and Yolo's Pembrokeshire on the BBC. But he is so much more than that. He's also a fantastic naturalist and nature guide who loves getting hands-on with conservation and taking people to wild places and helping them connect with nature and wildlife. Yolo Williams, welcome to the Lodgecast. It's amazing to have you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's lovely to be here. It's always nice to talk beaver. <laughs> and we're straight <laughs> in there. <laughs> Off yeah. we go. <laughs> you've, just, you've just been waiting for this invitation, haven't you? I, I have. I tell you, I've been hanging on for weeks for that line. <laughs> A long time coming. Now, so Yolo, before we get into the chat, we would like to tell you our facts that we've been waiting all episode to tell the listeners and tell you. And then all you have to do is decide which one you prefer. And that will round off the facts off uh, competition, I guess, for season two. So, as I said, before we started recording, we are seriously running dry <laughs> with our beaver facts. And so mine is um, quite a weak one, but it's still fairly interesting. I was going for a bit of a Christmassy vibe because this is our bonus Christmas episode. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Beavers um, live in the Northern Hemisphere. And they often are in snowy areas. And often the snow is so thick that the only evidence of beavers is a vent of hot air rising from the snowy drifts from the chambers deep within the lodge. A bit like a chimney, lovely wood-burning stove. Um, it's because the lodge is so well insulated that actually evolution said, no, beavers, you don't need to evolve because you're going to be warm and dry for the whole of winter. So you may as well carry on eating and swimming and doing what you're doing. And um, they have a lovely vent to show for it so that's my fact lovely okay thank you and mine um rescued by some recent scientific uh research so a study by sam gandhi amazingly validated why i do what i'm doing here because it basically said that beaver reintroduction may represent a partial antidote to the shifting baseline syndrome and beavers could act as a flagship species to become a totem of hope as eco-anxiety increases so it's that feeling of being in a beaver wetland and seeing the huge wildlife and biodiversity and, I don't know, the, just the feeling of it is it genuinely gives you hope. And there's some science out to back that up now, which is really exciting. So that's my one. Okay. Uh, um, I'm a very factual, not a very emotional person. I'm sorry about this, but I'm going to go for the beaver chimney. Oh, beaver chimney. <laughs> sorry about that. The beaver chimney takes it. Yolo, don't apologise for choosing an excellent fact. <laughs> you said it was a weak one. I thought that was a good one. Uh, I like that one. Oh, thank you very much. Always a surprise, these facts, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're cool. And they're such cool animals. You know, they are such cool animals. Well, talking of uh, beavers, Yolo, have you ever seen one? And um, have you got any anecdotes that you'd like to share? Um, uh, yeah, I have seen beavers. I've seen I've seen beavers in um, North America. Oh. Uh, well, in Canada, actually. Oh, I've seen cool. beavers in Poland. Oh. And I've seen beavers in the UK. So, so, so that's I've been a yes. really lucky. <laughs> uh, it, it is a yes, it is. A, I've seen wild beavers in, in Canada, of course, wild beavers in Poland. 
And that was really cool. Um, mm. you, you know, you never forget when you see your first beaver. Um, and we were going down. <laughs> that, and that, no, that wasn't uh, that wasn't a pun. Um, it, uh, we, I was going down a raft, going down a river in the middle of nowhere, and a beaver just came across in front of us and looked at us, and then all of a sudden thought, "Oh, I shouldn't be here," and then chomp. Underwater it went Goodbye. and just disappeared. So that was my first sighting of a beaver. The one in Poland was a lot better because we staked out this kind of um, uh, uh, pond that had been created by the beaver and we just waited and waited and waited and it poured down with rain for about two and a half hours. The rain stopped and within five minutes, up popped the beaver. So that was lovely. And it was brilliant seeing them in Scotland because it's the UK and we should have them in the UK. We should have them all over the UK. Um, so seeing the first wild ones in Argyll was something else. And I've also seen beaver in Wales, but not truly wild ones. It was the, at the um, Dovey Nature Reserve where the fantastic Montgomeryshire Wildlife Trust have uh, introduced three animals now mm. to a seven-acre um, caged-off area. So uh, it, it was nice to see them there, but it'd be a lot nicer if they were proper wild. Did you notice a big difference in the beaver, the dams or anything like that when in these three locations? Oh, good question. Yeah, um, it, Compared to Europe and North America, yes. And this is what I, I mean, I, I am very, very, very angry old man. I was an angry young man. I thought I'd mellow. I became an angry middle-aged man. I'm now a very angry old man. So I get very irate when people say, oh, they'll build these dams. They'll flood all of my land and all this rubbish. Um, you know, in North America, yes, the, I've, I've, I've seen them build pretty hefty dams. In Europe, in the UK, not really, no. You know, they, they were much less substantial dams, really. So, um, but yeah, it, it was cool to compare and contrast. And I remember in Canada uh, being able to walk, you know, there was one dam that must have been about 50 metres across. It was Whoa. a huge, huge, huge thing. Mm. Um, and being able to walk across that. And the other cool thing there was you were walking along and next thing you find is, is a grizzly bear footprint. So, oh um, wow! Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a bit different off. to seeing them in our guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is it is a bit, but it's also quite scary. You know, you're thinking, yeah. ah, right, okay, okay better be careful. Okay, then I think we should get a <laughs> yeah. print. We should get a print, Sophie, and put them put the print in some British beaver down. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> can you imagine a bear print? Oh my gosh! I tell you what, there would be. Yeah. <gasps> There would be some panicking landowners out there straight away. (laughs) Bring beavers back and bears. Brilliant. (laughs) So, so Yolo, nature and observing the natural world is clearly a real pillar of your life, which is so cool. Um, Do you remember any pivotal moments that got you into it when you were little? Um, Or was it just general immersion in the countryside that developed that love of uh, nature and discovery? And, And also, is there a good story behind your AKA Birdman? (laughs) <laughs> ah right um it, it it's a funny one because some people say yes i i remember seeing a, a kestrel hovering or i remember seeing um you, you know a great crested newt for the first time and that is what really turned them on for me it, it it was a general immersion i think i grew up not far from where i live now in mid wales and surrounded by fantastic countryside uh amazing wildlife as well you know from the age of about eight I used to walk up on the moors with my little dog, Bitu, and looking for black grouse and merlin and hen harriers and and finding my first lesser tway blade and all that kind of thing, you know. So uh, it it was just a a general ongoing thing. And from as far back as I can remember, I was really into wildlife. One of my first memories, I would have been about three, maybe four, four maybe, and I found a wood pigeon nest, you know, which is which is a rubbish nest. It's the worst nest in the world. It's just a, a few <laughs> twigs with two white eggs on it. And I remember thinking, oh, poor pigeon. And I went back to the house and got six hen's eggs and put the hen's oh, eggs around those two no eggs, way. you know. And then absolutely, but luckily my mum found out pretty soon she was going to make pancakes or whatever it was. I said, I'm sure I had six eggs. And I said, oh, yeah, mum, I've, I've put them on the nest of a wood pigeon. So she made me go back and put no. the, the hen's eggs back. Oh, in. Yeah, that, that, that was, that's one of my first memories, you know, four, four years old, something like that. So wow. it's always been there. I was encouraged by my mum and dad and my wonderful tide granddad he was brilliant you know he really took me under his wing and showed me how to find birds nests and which plants I could and couldn't eat and and how to catch fish with my hands and all that kind of thing so uh, it was just by being outside all the time really. And Yolo you're um, obviously your your career and your time in nature has been during a fascinating and critical time for the planet how has your relationship changed if at all during during that time? 
Oh, that's a good question. It's it's an interesting one as well. I I think it's difficult to say how my relationship to wildlife has 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 differed compared to other people's because I think when you're young, you're just wow, you know, this is brilliant, mm. and you just soak it all up like a sponge and enjoy it. As you get older, you tend to remember things that have gone from when you were young, and you do tend to worry more. I think. I think the the younger generation now, because it's in the news so much, mm. um, you, you know, there's such a thing as as kind of climate anxiety and biodiversity anxiety which is right but it's a shame for for youngsters to be so worried because it's it's our mess we should clear it up really um but i i it has changed i think they uh, i still get the same enjoyment still get the same excitement uh satisfaction in many ways but it's always tainted with that worry hmm with concern because we so much more switched on to news, not just on my local patch, although I'm seeing it disappear here as well, but worldwide as well. Um, so, yeah, so I think I, I really feel for the, for the youngsters now. And I we hear so much about shifting baselines. You know, like a youngster now, young conservationist now, is not going to worry about lapwings hmm. on every farm because they're not on every farm. When I was a kid, they were. So that's mm. something that concerns me. Um, but 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 I do feel for them now because there's a lot of worry out there, um, and and you know youngsters shouldn't be worried. Youngsters should be out there enjoying wildlife, enjoying life, and just getting on with things. Really, absolutely, they should. And that brings us very nicely onto the next question, which is about the watches. So you, you've been a guide, and you've spent 14 years working at RSPB, which is great. Um, must have been fascinating to do that. And you're now widely known as one of um, the fantastic, friendly faces on the watches bringing nature to people's sofas and, you know, people that are helping so many connect with nature. How does it feel to be doing that? And how, how important is that for you to be telling people about this great stuff out there? And do, do you find a mix between trying to minimise travel and people because of the climate crisis, um, whilst maximising a love of nature and getting out into it? What do you think is the watch has got a really important role to play there? Go, there are about 64 questions in one there. Um, I'll, tr- I'll try and answer them all as I go on. Um, it, it is, it's a genuine privilege to be part of the Watches team. Now, when I first came on, um, did stuff for the Watches, and I think it's about 12 years ago now, and the first thing I ever did was on sea trout, I think, and it's about 12 years ago. Um, it didn't hit me, wow, I'm on the Watches, because I hardly ever watched telly. Hmm. And I went for 15 years without a telly, and when the phone call came, said, you know, would you like to do Autumn Watch? Um, I actually had to go online and, and look at all the episodes of Autumn Watch because I'd never watched it. I, I, I shouldn't admit to that, but as I say, I watch <laughs> very, very little TV. Mm. Well, it probably, yeah, it speaks volumes, I think. Well, well, the thing is, you know, I don't watch telly because I'm out doing stuff, mm. you, exactly. you know, which is what most people should be doing other than watching the watches, of course. Um, <laughs> but so it, it's only when I first came on it as a regular, really, that I realised what a big thing it was and what fantastic fans it's got. And it has, you know, it's got people who are obsessed with the watches and, and they're, they're brilliant. They're so kind uh, and so warm. Um, and, you know, when you go out and give talks, you, you get a fantastic feedback mm. of them. So, yeah, it's a brilliant thing. And we know, all of us, every single one of us on there know that we have an important role to play in educating people about the natural world, mm. about um, our concerns for the natural world as well, but also about the enjoyment of the natural world. You know, the, n- now you'll find that we have the mindfulness moment, a minute and a half of mm, stunning that, scenery, yeah. fantastic wildlife, but no talking, yeah. just natural sounds. And I think especially after everything we've been to over the last nearly two years now, I think things like that are so important and they help people out so much and and it's only recently that i've realized how important they are for people's mental health mm. as well um and it, it was a good question you had about balancing my work with concern for my carbon footprint um i used to do a lot of overseas tours i do far fewer now hmm. i've got a backlog over the next 18 months of overseas tours that i'm committed to because of covid and lockdown but after that I probably won't do another overseas tour hmm. because Gosh, I'm so man. concerned about my carbon footprint. But, but, and it's a big but, I learned a valuable lesson when I was 
I think it was Chitwan National Park in Nepal, where the chief ranger, and I was just getting really concerned about my carbon footprint, and I, I do give money to various organisations to plant trees. I'm, I'm trying to buy land at the back of my house so I can get a new woodland going there, mm. but that's only a small thing. That doesn't really compensate for it. Mm. Um, and I remember talking to this head ranger, and he said, but what you have to remember, he said, is that without you Westerners coming here, there would be no Chitwan National Park yeah. because yeah. the government really wants these mature trees for building. The mm. government wants the wetlands you see down there for rice fields. So there would be no um, Asian elephants. There would be no Indian one-horned rhinos. There would be no tigers. None of the other wildlife would be there. So it's a really difficult balance. And one of the things we've seen now with lockdown is that poaching has gone through the roof. Hmm. because there's no money going into a lot of the local reserves, so there's no money to fund anti-poaching patrols and rangers. Also, of course, there are no tourists to act as eyes and ears. Um, so it, it's such a difficult hmm. thing to decide what's the right thing to do. It's hmm. it's really difficult. Well, I think it, you, you've answered it to a degree to say that you're not booking further international yeah. tours. I think that's really um, respectable and, and showing a bit of leadership in the sector, hmm. which is really exciting. Yeah, but it, but it's also, I feel as if I'm abandoning some of the reserves that I used to go to as well. You know, I'm not taking people out there to spend money locally mm. that'll go into the conservation of those species. So I, I genuinely am torn, absolutely yeah. torn in half by what's the right thing to do here. Mm. It's so relatable, really. And I think that leads us nicely on to what we next wanted to talk to you about. How to, I guess, zooming in a little bit into our homes and our daily life and how we can... Um, be mindful of our carbon footprint and our and our impact on the planet in our everyday sort of existence. And I read an article recently that you have a carbon-friendly home and that you've worked really, really hard to try and minimise your carbon footprint at home. And you're on a Zoom call with uh, homeowners. And I've recently just bought my first home. And we're all very conscious of how can we kind of kit out our homes and equip our homes to... to do what we need them to do, but also in a way that is kind to nature. So have you got any advice, mm. I guess, as to how you can do that? And maybe talk to us a little bit about your your journey to to get to that point. Yeah, ours was quite simple because um, we were looking f to move just locally in Mid Wales here in 2000, 2001, 2002, around then. And then this plot of land here came up for sale. And we weren't looking for a plot, as we hadn't even thought about it. But a friend of a friend was going to buy it and they pulled out last minute. So we were able to buy it. We were able to build a house here. It's not a big house. It's a three-bedroom bungalow, which is fine for us. I, I don't want a big house. I love a bungalow. Um, but, uh, uh, well, we had it done timber-framed, double-insulated. Um, it's double-glazed, triple-glazed in some places everywhere here. And when you put that on the price of building a house it actually doesn't add much to the cost mm. so that made it probably quite a bit easier for us i think than it might be for other people um so that's the critical thing we've done i've done small things here um it was a farmer's field um it was fenced off for the building so i've put a hedge in um using just local plants i haven't gone to the local garden said there's a wood two fields away I've just gone in there and in the winter picked up some saplings planted them gradually over probably eight hmm. nine years i've now got a lovely hedge that goes all the way around the oh. house um with my lawn i mow bits of it mm. um kind of rotation almost but i want some bits mown because i want some of the um flowers that that like mown areas there other bits i kind of half mow i mow it about three four inches above the ground what's that about six seven centimeters up and then you get different variety there. And some of it I leave to go wild until mm. now. I've just cut it all back now. And what that means, I get a really nice variety of flowering plants. You know, the stuff like I get in spring, I'll get things like primroses, cowslips. And then as the year goes through, I get a st fantastic stuff like uh, bird's foot trefoil, which is brilliant. Mm. You know, the bees and butterflies love that. Yeah. And then I get stuff like knapweed as well. So so I do that with my lawn. I planted a mini orchard. It's only eight apple trees, I think eight or nine, I think I've got now. Nice. And that is brilliant because they flower in spring full of bees, you know, and mm. I've really got into my bees. I get red mason bees, I, 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 all kinds of things, leafcutter bees here, honeybees as well, of course, bumblebees, and the variety coming in to the apple blossom is, is brilliant. Now the apple 
crop has gone over, so I've taken only what I want. All the rest, some of them are still on the branch there, rotting away. Some are on the lawn. I've just left them there because the blackbirds, the song thrushes, mm. now the red wings, the field fairs, the wasps earlier on in the year, they love them. So everybody can do little, little things mm. like that. I've dug out a pond. We've got a pond here, which is brilliant. It's absolutely jam-packed full of palmate newts. Oh, um, sounds like an absolute I, delight. I, 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 well, well, but but it's simple little things. You know, it isn't as if I own half of Mid Wales. I genuinely don't. You know, our plot is about, I don't know, 70 metres by 50 metres. That's it, maybe. Mm. But even in that space, I can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I guess clearly just, that's a little lesson. Yeah. Lesson in wild gardening right there. And a light <laughs> touch, I guess, in terms of management. Yeah, I've I've just been out now cutting the hedge back, but by hand. I've got sort of clippers. It's hard work. It takes a long time, mm. but it's brilliant because I planted real variety of stuff. I've got gilder rose. I've got hazel. I've got blackthorn, whitethorn. And so I cut away, but if there's a branch full of berries, I leave that, mm. leave it, and then move on and move on. You know, so cut it back a bit, but I like a nice thick hedge for the sparrows that I have here. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's just using common sense, using your head and just using common sense. Mm. Yeah, totally. Is, is your garden in your 40 wild places in Wales? <laughs> no, it's Sounds no, like it should be. Uh, no, <laughs> it's <plan>. no one you're gonna. <laughs> as I say, anybody who's who's got a garden, and I, I, not everybody has. I, I accept that. But anybody who's got a garden, no matter how small or how big, can do what I've done. It's really as simple. Mm. So we mentioned just now your book, Forty Wild Places in Wales. Um, we'd love to hear what your favourite is, and but most importantly, why is it your favourite? What is it that um, entices you out there? Okay, first of all, there's one place that's not in there. And I won't put it in there Ooh. and I will never film there because I don't want anybody to know where it is because <laughs> that is my favourite place. That is my real proper go-to place to just Can escape. Can you describe it? Could it be a large no, cast exclusive? You can't even describe it. <laughs> oh. no, no, but that one apart, it's uh, probably probably Scomer Island, I would think. Nice. You know, Scomer oh, is nice. just, it's one of the few UK reserves that could hold its head up against the Great Barrier Reef, mm. the Serengeti, the Amazon rainforest. I think going to Scomer for a day and a night, you have to stay overnight to get the full experience, is just as good as any of those other places I mentioned. So it would be, have to be Scomer Island. That is an incredible um, thing to feel. Those are some impressive places you described. So mm. there you are. Yeah, but honestly, Scoma, if you've never been, do go and, and try and stay overnight. It's difficult now because it's so popular. Um, but the, the the wonderful Wildlife Trust of South and West Wales, they they manage it and they limit the number of people, which is brilliant as well, of course. Mm. But, you, you know, not not just when everybody likes the puffins and the razorbills and the guillemots and the kittiwakes and this and that. Short-eared owls is the best place in Wales for, for short-eared is owls. Really? On the journey across, you could well see things like um dolphins you know uh, harbour porpoises mm. if you can dive diving within the marine nature is a there's a real eye-opener it's fantastic sea cucumbers sea fans all kinds of stuff there is it, it's absolutely brilliant um you've got glowworms you've got toads out at night if you stay overnight of course oh, man, I you get your, glowworms. Mm, well, I tell you, they're, they're fabulous things they really are amazing things and if you stay overnight, of course, you've got your 300,000-plus pairs of Manxies, Manx shearwaters there, and the experience of going mm. out when it's pitch black and just the noise, yeah. you know. And there's, it's, it, it is said that Skoma, Skokholm, Ramsey, they're all Viking names, but it's said that even the Vikings were afraid to land on Skoma at night no because way. of the witches, because ah. of the witches. And it almost certainly weren't witches. It's probably the noise of these Manxies. Amazing. Yeah, because it is very otherworldly. Very, very otherworldly. God, well, put yeah. that on the list. Definitely put that on the list. Sold. And um, Yolo, I mean, you must have had so many incredible experiences and you've shared some of them already with us. But do you have a particularly memorable moment in your career? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot. I've been lucky. I pinched myself every day because I never intended to go on to TV at all. And actually, when I was working for the RSPB, I thought telly was a pain in the backside. I really did. I didn't <laughs> I didn't like doing telly at all because they were saying, um, could you possibly do that walk again? And could you yeah. walk from the top of that? Oh, and I used to think, so oh, contrived. will you shut up and leave me alone? Yeah, I'm going to go on and do some proper work. So it used to really annoy me. Um, but I ended up in telly by accident and it, it's been brilliant. And 
of of everything. And I've been really lucky, very, very lucky. I think the thing that really struck home, and it struck home partly because it's something I saw in the UK, mm. was seeing orcas for the first time oh. off Caithness, not oh, far wow. from John O'Groats. Mm. And it was a pod led by a big, big bull, you know, and watching this bull orca going along, and the dorsal fin was as tall as I am. I'm six foot one, you know, oh, and, 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 and seeing that dorsal fin thinking, wow, that is a proper, proper mammal there, mm. you know, and it was, it really was, I'm not lost for words very often, but I was expected to say something to camera, and I remember just standing there, mouth open, thinking, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you say to that? Yeah. What do you say to that? You just want to stand there and go, wow, mm. you know, it really was. So, so that really stands out, I think, above above practically everything else. Fair play. That is incredible. And is there anything, anywhere that the watches haven't been in Britain yet that you think they ought to go to, to expose people to a place? Or... Yeah, yeah, there are. There are places we haven't really spent much time in. But the difficult thing with the watch is, depending on how we move on with it, of course, pre-COVID, mm. you had over 100 people working. Mm. Uh, and so you've got to have a site that can hold 100 people, accommodation nearby, mm. room for the big machinery, you know, uh, for the edits and, 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 and where the Nest cameras go in and everything. So it, it's it's difficult to find the right site. It's easier now because we've split up into these smaller teams and they're teams of maybe sometimes eight or nine, sometimes a dozen, whatever it is. Um, so where would I like to see? I, I've been to Shetland with it. I'd love to go back up there one day um, to do the watches from up there because there's some cool stuff up there. Um, do you know what I'd like to see us do one day as well is do something from an inner city. Oh, I was literally uh, just look, about to say that. Look, yeah. Look at urban urban wildlife. Yeah. You know? So it's not that we've neglected it, of course, you know, because we, we, we do features regularly on it. Mm. Um, but it'd be nice to have somebody. Gillian's done some stuff, of course, from in and around Birmingham there, but it would be nice to 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 have one part of the team or maybe the whole team sometime focus more on our urban wildlife because the majority of people in the UK now live in towns yeah. and cities and for them wildlife is what they see out in their yeah, garden exactly. out of the window and what have you, you know? mm. so yeah I think I think maybe uh, one focusing more on urban wildlife would be really interesting. Good shout. Brilliant. We look forward to that. Yolo, many of our listeners, I think, are a mixture of people who are already kind of working in the sector, but we have a lot of young listeners as well. And many of them probably look to people like you and think, oh, I'd love to... Um, and they look at your experience working for the RSPB, but then also your work on the watches and maybe feeling a bit torn or a bit kind of pulled in two directions of, okay, I want to help nature and I want... Uh, my job to kind of demonstrate some form of maybe climate action even, but I'm not sure whether to go down the NGO or the charity route or maybe try and get into wildlife media and, and kind of communication in that sense. How do they compare as, I mean, or even do they compare as mediums of telling more people about the natural world? I suppose they do. Um, I, I always, my advice to young people always is, is um, do what I would call do a proper job first. Hmm. You know, um, work for the Wildlife Trust, work as a local ranger, work for uh, the Beaver Trust, work for Bug Life, Plant Life, work for the RSPB, whatever it is. You know, get a mm. get a proper job first. Get that grounding, get that knowledge, mm. get that experience. Um, also, um, try and volunteer for other organisations. Talk to people, get outside, um, go on fungal forests, go on bat walks, go on moth trapping nights. Just... Go with people who really know their stuff mm. and just ask questions all the time, all the time. Soak up all this information. The more you know, the better communicator you are. The better communicator you are, the more valuable you'll be for the radio, for the telly, for the media, if they are going to pick you up, if that's the road you want to go down. Mm. Um, TV, I'll be bluntly honest, TV can be a harsh medium as well. There's a lot of clamouring for the same jobs. There's... Mm. Um, can be can be backstabbing can be quite an ugly medium in 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 many ways I've been lucky I, I came into it quite late I was 35 when I went into it I'm now of an age where 
if somebody turns around and says, sorry, you're too old, or sorry, we got someone younger who's a lot better, I, I don't care. I genuinely don't care. I'll just go out, I'll do a bit of guiding, mm. you know, do some hen harry monitoring in my own time. Happy as Larry, I genuinely don't care. If I was 25, I'd, I'd be worried, obviously, mm. you know, because you think, oh, my, you know, I, I want a career in that. But But working for conservation charities can be so rewarding it really can be extremely rewarding invariably you're working with a really good team you're not paid particularly well let's be honest about that but you're working <laughs> with, 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 with no, it, it, it is true you know I spent 15 years working for the RSV so I know exactly what it's like but but you're working with great enthusiastic knowledgeable mm. committed people um, and and there's nothing quite like it. That's one thing I really miss from my old RSPB days. Two things actually. One is some of the work going out monitoring black grouse before dawn, and then going on and looking for merlin nests and harrier nests and short-eared owls or whatever it is. And also the kind of camaraderie of a small team. Mm, it's a community. I really itself, really miss it? that. It it is yeah, it, and and it's it's fabulous, you know. So. Um, they're all good in their own ways, but but my advice would always be get a proper job first. Go and work for a conservation charity. Hmm. I've got a um, a personal slant on a question. So I'm a, a mum to two young kids, and uh, my big thing is sort of climate and nature and environment and linking them all up and trying to somehow get children to break out of the curriculum tunnel that you, they grow into that kills their creativity. What would your recommendation be to parents with, you know, primary age kids to help them learn to love nature other than just, you know, going out? <laughs> is there anything particular that they could do? I'll tell you what I did. And this is gospel truth. I asked the school and school was great. Didn't do it very often. I took my boys out of school. Did you? I took them. Yeah, I went to school. And I said, listen, tomorrow I'm going out on a boat in Cardigan Bay. We're going to film bottlenose dolphins. Oh, Can I take the boys out? And they were brilliant in the school. They said they're going to learn more with you uh, on that day than they will in school. Take them. Mm. And, you know, I did it maybe two or three times a year, maybe. Um, but it was brilliant. I remember taking them. Uh, we, we were mon- helping the uh, ARC, Amphibian and Reptile Conservation, to uh, monitor adders in South Wales at a couple of sites there. And I saw grass snakes and slow worms nice. and, and uh, common lizards and what have you. So, um if there's an opportunity to do that, and and I know that that's not going to be true for everyone, but if there's an opportunity to do things like that, do it. So finding opportunities. Mm. And it's got to be fun for them. Okay. I hate it when they go into lessons and they get lessons and, you know, the lessons about something brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, sort of trees. It's about trees. And they say, well, this is a tree. The tree's not lovely, isn't it? <laughs> trees will, you know, pump out oxygen. And stop being so boring, you know, make it really interesting. Show them the leaves, get them to climb trees, you know, little trees. Get them to go up, feel the back. Why is the back of that one? The ash tree different to the beech tree and all that kind of stuff you know and, and go and get some conkers go and get some hazelnuts and show them the difference yeah. and explain these are seeds you know blah 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 then you can tell them about squirrels burying them and jays carrying them and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff mm. it's just it's got to be fun for kids it's got to be fun Brilliant. so if it's not fun within five minutes they've turned Yol off and that's door. it you know yeah <laughs> it and, and let them get muddy you know if they're going to fall yes. in mud brilliant I used to do it all the time as a kid if you fall in mud go looking for earthworms yeah. squidge the mud and look for earthworms yeah. you know so it, it's got to be fun it's got to be fun thank mm. you that's really great advice I'm sure that is great enjoy advice. that well, go off school and put your face in some mud <laughs> Well, that's uh, on my list for Christmas holidays, I think. Um, Yolo, what are your what's next for you? Do you have any plans coming up next year or yeah, I, it's quite quite exciting in a way, I suppose. Um, I, I will never retire. I, you know I want to drop dead, literally genuinely want to drop dead doing what I do, what I love doing. Um, uh, probably eating cake. That'll be. I'll have a <gasps> oh, massive heart attack from eating goodness, cake. I, I love my cake. Don't talk cake. With I've me, actually honestly. heard Otherwise, this, Yolo. I've got favorite cake. Favorite cake is yeah the most important uh, question. Favorite cake. It's Bake Off final tonight. Do you know what I can? I can't watch it because I get so hungry. Um, oh my gosh, so do I, I. I have to. Do you know, what? Up. I'd love to be a judge on there because I would be. I'd be pushing people out the way and shoveling cake in my mouth. People say, "Go, oh, he's a pig, isn't he?" I say, "Yes, I am." Um, oh, um, well, I've forgotten the question because we were talking cake? about cake. What was, what was your favorite cake? Oh, favorite cake. Oh, 
that's a hard one. Do you know? I don't know. Do you like um, a sponge? Maybe. Do you like a layer I do cake? like a sponge. Victoria sponge. Oh, a simple, basic. It. it has to be moist. But Victoria sponge. It has to be moist. But then, uh, it has to be moist, yeah. Moist. Um, <laughs> I, I do like a like good a meringue. I like... <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. A moist cake. You cannot beat a moist cake. Oh, um, let's see. Lemon drizzle is nice. Chocolate brownie is oh. lovely. Custard you know, tart. You know what I'm into at the moment? I can't stop What's making that? Barra Brith. It's so oh, good. What's that? No, what's oh, that? Talk I tell to you, me about that. Talk to me. It, it's, it, it's a Welsh speciality. Oh. It's like a sort of currant loaf type thing, oh. but it, it's a little bit different. And you serve it warm oh. with butter on with it. With butter. It That's is, the key. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, butter, honestly, yeah. mm. it is so nice. It is so nice. I'll tell you what, what was the original question? I forgot oh, what I the original I question was. Oh, uh, what's going on for you we, in 2022? Oh, Are you a Bake Off judge? Is that where this was going? Well, they've been on the phone. <laughs> and they've asked me and uh, that's oh, yeah that's going to be the pinnacle that. of my career um, oh, my they, there's a lot going on next year it's really full partly because of last year when um, I lost 27 weeks of work last year it was, it was a horrible year last year um, so I'm kind of catching up with some of the tours you know UK tours mm-hmm. and as I mentioned earlier I've got some overseas tours just as a catch-up from last year that I'm already committed to. Sure. But also, um, of course, there's the watches, those coming up, and there's also two series next year for BBC Wales. Uh, I've just finished one now on the wildlife of Anglesey. We're filming one on um, the wildlife of the Welsh marches on the, the mm. Wales-England border. So that, that'll be cool, being able to pop both sides of the border will be really cool. cool. Some lovely sights and some great wildlife there too. Um, and they've also commissioned one, kind of what it's called, something like Yolo's Wild Ears or something, where I've been working in telly 24 odd years now. So looking back through some of the old archives and oh, me sort of doing amazing. bits to add to them. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, in some of them, I've even got all my own hair. So it shows how old <laughs> some of them are. Um, Featuring but, much cake. Yeah, if, if, sit well, down with a moist uh, Victoria sponge and enjoy oh, the Oh, that'd be lovely. That would be <laughs> lovely. So, yes, yeah, so between all of those things, genuinely, um, I don't think I've got a spare day now next year. It's absolutely chock-a-block right through till something like November next year, something like that. So it's it's a full year next year, really full. Amazing. That sounds well, great fun. We're lucky to have you on then. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've always got time for this. Yeah, oh, I've got time got, Cake. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to, I've got to give a Zoom talk this evening uh, as well. So it's home based, catching up with all kinds of stuff today. Nice. Oh well, Yolo, thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing to talk to you, and um, a lovely way to round off season two of the Lodgecast uh, right up before Christmas. Yeah, really enjoyed. Thank chat. you. Thank you. Well, listen, thank you both for your invitation. Uh, talking beaver is, is is always great, and talking <laughs> moist cake is oh. even better. Um, <laughs> And just wish everyone who's listening in have a fantastic Christmas and do everything you can next year. Please, please, please to help the natural world. Thank you very much. Oh, well, how good was that? My goodness. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I mean, there's a whole episode on cake to be had there probably that we missed. Oh, my gosh. Um, But what a character. I I love that. He's got many, many years of experience and passion for wildlife mm. and nature and the outdoors and I loved his I mean you know you know I'm a gardener so I quite liked his uh, garden description <laughs> we all um, do <laughs> and I don't know there's so much in that yeah brilliant so brilliant. many little pearls of wisdom as well for for young people and how to kind of keep motivated and maintain that momentum but in such an accessible way as well it all seems very achievable when Yolo says it so I remember yeah that. <laughs> amazing What a great way to end the year and this bonus episode. Indeed. Well, it's not quite finished yet because it's quiz time. Now, it's a little different this episode, which we're quite excited about. And that Eva, we are both being quizzed this time. (gasps) We are letting producer Emma out of her little box. Head to head. (laughs) Come on, Emma, come on. You can do it. Just just, like like the beaver cage just opens and I call out with a microphone. Out she comes. Producer releases. What a unique time. Welcome, Emma. No, well, I mean, what, what a brilliant year, guys. First of all, congrats. It's You, you guys have both been wonderful for an entire oh. two seasons. It's been such a such we an thank absolute you. pleasure to be part of it all. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the most important question, of course, is who who's won the fact off and who's won the quizzes this season? Do you guys remember? How do you feel you've done? Oh, t- 
tough, toughy. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm a bit thrown that the old it, uh, ice ice chimney <laughs> took ice my... Uh, oh, yes. Very pleased about that. So, hang the on. Day. Emma, let's just make this clear. You're sat there with the winners of both. I've got the winners. I've gone back and I've listened to series two again. Absolute treat. Um, we can <laughs> declare the final winners. So, the, the fact of, I have to admit, was a little bit of a landslide. Right. Eva won four and Sophie won two. <gasps> no, is that Look right? That. What? That is right. <laughs> is that right? How is this correct? Coming in coming in last place, I won one. Just gonna drop that in there. <laughs> I won one of the fact offs. <laughs> Um, nice yeah. work from behind well, that was the with David Oaks another great episode Yolo, Yolo saved you from being tied last with me at the bottom there so <laughs> oh, good, good ice chip I'll make you a cake the quiz is another matter we are actually on no. a level playing field with the quiz <gasps> no when it takes out of town hello you've both got six out of the nine points that have been available to you in your respective quizzes this series so this is the Goodness. decider I hope it's about so if Beavis. you could not pick the same answers for everything, that would <laughs> mm. be great. <laughs> I hope it's about cake. <laughs> it's not about cake. In true, in true um, Beaver mm. Trust fashion, I have picked something very tenuous and strange. And I wrote this about a week ago and I've reopened Perfect. it this morning and thought, gosh, what was I thinking? Can I ask the question, is it as tenuous as my What Three Words quiz in Julia's episode? <laughs> Where it, was, was, it, it, it wasn't that. even a quiz. It was just potluck. <laughs> it was nonsense. But Eva did surprisingly well in it. She did. So you're clearly on a similar, similar nonsense flavor. Worst quiz no, this ever. is this is the tenuous Christmas animal quiz. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So it's on theme. Okay. I'm not feeling confident, but far away. <laughs> I'm oh, not feeling confident in my in my quiz planning, but there we are. <laughs> right. First of all, listen, we can't talk about Christmas without nodding to the turkey. This is the bird that's, you know, normally consumed by Western cultures for lunch on the 25th yeah. of December and, you know, Thanksgiving too. But did you know, mm. <laughs> what have I done here? <laughs> did you know that male and female turkeys produce poo in different shapes? No. <laughs> no, so, no, no. Oh my I gosh. I did not. I'm, I'm imagining something really, really graphic as like a, a little, like a little cookie cutter. Or, you know, and I've got here a turkey poo for you. No, I haven't. Um, you know, like in in pizza in Pizza Hut, where you you get you have the lever of the ice cream when you get turkey poo, yeah, and it has time. a different nozzle. Or in like in Bake Off, when you've got a nozzle, you know the icing nozzle, and you can make it into different shapes. That's what they've got, isn't it? Wow, that's what well, it must be. And one. Okay, so a moon. well, <laughs> female turkey poo. Yeah, is apparently shaped like the letter J. But what shape is a typical male turkey poo? Proper journalism here. Is it A, curled up in a spiral? Is it B, long and lumpy like a string of pearls? (laughs) Don't ever put those two words together again. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Or is it C, is it fat at one end and thin at the other, a bit like a cone? (laughs) Oh, what? I don't know what mood I was in when I wrote this. J. I, I'm going to go with B. Either you're going Eva B, likes a long, long and lumpy. lumpy like a str- <laughs> that is not long and lumpy. Long and lumpy. Uh, I, I'll go for a cone. Okay. <laughs> cone um, yeah. Sorry, folks, you're both wrong. It's no. curled up in a spiral, apparently. I'll get out I of mean, here. Yeah. Artistic yeah. turkeys. But why is it a J? What does I honestly it mean? don't know. I, I'd be confessed I say? didn't go into <laughs> trying to tell us I, d- I didn't want to google it any further <laughs> no true, true. Um, <clears throat> bet the listeners so thanks well, to the smithsonian for that fact okay <laughs> reputable number two. source science yeah. yeah well i wanted to you know this wasn't a buzzfeed quiz um <laughs> listen right there are lots of ties throughout history with nature and mythology one of the nordic gods Balder, don't know if I pronounced that right, but he's the brother of Thor and Loki. He lived between heaven and earth and was all things, you know, beautiful, kind and fair. Sounds but nice. he was killed by which festive plant? Was it holly, ivy or mistletoe? Ooh. Killed in what way? Ingesting. Uh, uh, Loki threw a bow of this oh, at him. Naughty Loki. Um, mm, killed by your brother. I'm going to go with Holly. Classic Loki, it's though. It's a bit too obvious. Um, I'm going to go mistletoe to for a laugh mm. because then it could be ironic that we all have a little smooch under. Not all of us, but some. Okay, and what are you going for? Was it Holly, you said? Or? Yeah. Great question, though. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Thanks. 
So Good okay. quiz. It was actually mistletoe. Way. Ah. Yeah. So nice one, Sophie. Okay, Eva, Eva, you can either oh, claw it back and draw with this one. This is the, this is the final decider. I'll go oh, down the Sophie's, Sophie's positioned. Now, reindeer have hair on their feet, which help them with their grip. Um, and oh. they're the only deer species that have hair completely covering their nose, which helps to warm hmm. the cold winter air when it comes into them before it reaches their lungs. Could do with a bit of that right now. Mm, lovely. Get you a mm. nose trimmer for Christmas. In 1939, Robert L. May wrote a story in which Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer made its first appearance. He considered many names for Rudolph. So which of these three is not one of the other names that he considered? Ooh. Rollo, Rufus, or Reginald? We had a dog called Rollo once. Um, I like the name Rollo. Oh, Rollo, Reginald, or Rufus? I'm going to say Reginald. That's what he says. Yeah, those are the three. Which one is not one of the ones that could have been Rudolph? Reginald's too many syllables because you can't do yeah, the Yeah, go, I would like to go with Reginald too. Should I do something else? Reginald, um, I'll, I'll go with Rufus then as the non. It was Rufus. Oh. So you've both you've both won a point. I should have come up with a tiebreaker. Do it now. Um, make it up on the fly. Okay, all right. You can do I've it. Got, there was there was one of the ones that was <laughs> okay. Here's one that didn't make the cut. Here's the tiebreaker. <clears throat> you and you both have to pick different ones for it. Okay, Robins, the red-breasted bird that we we see around Christmas quite a lot, often Lovely. signals the start of the festive season mm. in Nordic mythology. We're going back to our Norse gods here. Nice. Uh, the robin symbolised uh, like the coming of stormy weather. So which god was it that was a, a fan of the colour red which helped this story come about? Was it Thor, Loki or Odin? Odin. Okay, you're going Odin. Oh, well, well, I'll go with Thor because he's got good arms. <laughs> it was Thor. It was Thor. We've got a winner for oh, season two. It was gosh. Thor because he's the god of like thunder and storminess. Yeah. Oh, Not well done, Sophie. Anything else? Around. Uh, well, we all think of one person, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, thought, do any we not? Of the Hemsworth brothers. Um, yes. <laughs> any of the Hemsworth. Um, well, there we go. That's perfect. Sophie wins the overall quiz. Thanks. And everyone. Eva wins the overall oh, fact off. So well fair, done, guys. It? Very good. A happy very good. Christmas for all. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to another year of bringing nature related nonsense to nature. Great nerds. Christmas. Great Christmas. Great <laughs> Christmas, Emma. Great Christmas. Oh, oh you're most welcome. And something I wanted to do before we wrap up this episode, a bit of a random one, but I wondered if we could go round, round the room, as it were, between the three of us and maybe give offer the listeners one pearl of wisdom before Christmas. And that could be something to think about around Christmas time, obviously with nature in mind, as this is Beaver Trust podcast, or maybe something to take into 2022, maybe a little daily habit or... Or, or something to um, incorporate into a routine of sorts. How very festive of you. <laughs> Thank you. Would you like to kick us off? Um, well, something that I'm really trying to think about is Christmas presents and how can we adapt as a family to, to change the way that we do Christmas uh, to make it better for the environment. So one of the things that's been adopted is Secret Santa. So instead of buying each other everyone presents we just have a random selection of one person and so there's only one gift and i found that most people are actually really relieved when you mm. suggest secret santa because they're like oh phew i don't have to stress about what to get you um so so that's that's uh been quite like positive. That idea. yeah we'll see how long it lasts that's really nice <laughs> yeah emma how about good you? luck with that or eva how about you um one piece of advice hmm I'm finding it hard not to go straight to my go-to, I'm afraid. So we I have a go-to. Would What's your go-to? My go-to is in 2022, in fact, from today, make sure that you look at everything through a climate emergency lens. Mm, someone's been this speaking is an to emergency. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. Um, like it. Uh, Ems, what have you got? I... Oh, when it comes to trying to think of things that we can do as individuals, I think it's a really hard topic to look at because the onus shouldn't really be on all of us to be saving the planet in our little actions. And a lot of the time it can feel really overwhelming. Like the things that we do don't really make much of a difference unless there's, you know, everyone on the planet is also doing them. But one of the things that I heard a lot about this year in terms of it being one of the best things we can do as individuals is to have a look at where our money is. And when it comes to our banking and our pension, because 
a lot of places, a lot of banks will traditionally invest all of your your hard-earned cash in things like fossil fuels and tobacco. And, and basically having a look at where all of the money that you've worked so hard to set up for yourself, make sure that that's saved somewhere mm. which aligns with your values. Um, so have a look at, you know, moving to a bank that invests in, you know, green green ventures, green energy and mm. community ventures. Um, because otherwise it just undermines everything, all of the good little things that you do in your life. Um so yeah, that's that's one big old day of paperwork, but it's a great that's thing a really that kind of churns one. on yeah. and keeps being good. So that's my my yeah. one thing, I think. I like it. A big old day mm. of paperwork. Sounds that's great. a good idea, Sophie, to do that little little reflection. Good. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Lodgecast. We would like to say a huge thank you to Yolo for joining us today. And thank you to you, our lovely listeners, for downloading the Lodgecast and being a part of this for a whole year now. We've just had the best time and we couldn't have done it without you. And if you haven't heard any of our other episodes, then do go back and enjoy them before season three, because they are a lot of fun and you might learn something too. Speaking of season three, we're thinking of doing things a little differently in the new year. So let us know what you have enjoyed about the Lodgecast and anything you'd like to see more or less of next year. Uh, yes, yeah, so you can get in touch with us and tell us those things via Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at Beaver Trust or you can drop us a line at info at beavertrust.org. And while you're here, please make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast that you don't miss season three when we're back. And leave us a lovely little review. We're a small operation and little things like that really, really do help us reach new nature-loving audiences to grow the podcast so that we can keep bringing you the brilliant guests and good content. Absolutely. Why not share the podcast with a friend or two who might be interested in beavers or nature restoration? You might have a laugh listening along. Or you might not. No, you will. (laughs) So for more from us, you can also visit our website, beavertrust.org, to read our blogs and sign up for our newsletter and get the latest of the beaver news straight to your inbox. Festive greetings and see you next year. Merry Christmas! This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by the wonderful Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. <laughs>